Scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7. It's Psalm 46, 1 through 7. This is the NIV. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful so much for this day. Our Father, we're thankful that you are in charge of this earth. You are in charge of all of us people, Father. And we know that uh, kingdoms fall. We know there's going to be all sorts of problems that we hear on the news and things that happen every day. Help us, Father, always to remember that you're still in charge. Thank you, Father, for the church. Thank you for the hope that we as members of your church, Father, have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us, Father, always to be uh, uplifting to others. Help us to be strong in the word. Help us to be ever diligent in teaching others, Father, and reaching out to uh, our friends and our, our family and our neighbors and being able to instruct them, Father, and give them encouragement teach them father how they too can have the hope of living eternally with you thank you father for the promise that we have through jesus we're thankful that you gave us jesus your only son on the cross of calvary father and that his blood forgives our sins thank you father for this church i pray for each member of it pray father for those who are uh, in some way ill or afflicted physically we think about uh, the McClarty's grandson, and I think uh, about David Graham, fathers in the hospital at this time, and pray your blessings on him. And there's others, Father, that uh, that we reach out to, to and think about and pray for daily, and we ask your strength in helping them to recover and be back with us. Thank you, Father, for uh, the chance to come to you in prayer. Thank you for always hearing us. Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins. We ask, Father, that you strengthen us daily. We ask now that you be with us in this time of worship to you, Father. And this is our prayer in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Our next song is number 267, I Believe in Jesus. Number 267, would you stand please as we sing. Oh, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe still. 
I believe that he walked on the water, and I believe that he's the answer for me. Yes, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe he died on Mount Calvary. I believe that he's the answer for me. I believe in the words of the Bible, how he made the poor blind to see. I believe that the deaf is were opened, and I believe he's made a difference in me. Yes, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe he died on Mount Calvary. And I believe that the tomb was found empty. And I believe that is the answer for me. I believe that he spoke to dead Lazarus. And he said, Unbind and set free. I believe that he reigns up in heaven. And I believe that he is coming again. Yes, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe he died on Mount Calvary. And I believe that the tomb was found empty. And I believe that he's the answer for me. Thank you. Be seated, please. If you wish to mark today's invitation song, it will be number 125, Do You Know My Jesus? Number 125. And now, before Andy comes to speak to us, number 960, open our eyes, Lord, number 960. Open our eyes, Lord. Jesus. 
to reach out and touch Him and say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen, open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Glad that we can worship our God this morning and spend time in fellowship together. If you're here and you're a father, happy Father's Day. Thank you for being here. Again, what a wonderful blessing it is for us to worship our Father this morning. We're going to continue a series that we've been doing for the last several weeks uh, entitled, Who is this Lord We Love? And we want to think about why do we love Jesus? Why should we love Jesus? Is there anything specific about Jesus that should motivate us to leave everything else behind and to devote our lives to him? So we'll continue in the book of Mark this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark uh, chapter 5. We'll be in verse 21 here in just a few minutes. Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. Uh, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a one on the back of the pew in front of you, that black book there. And if you want to turn in your Bibles there to Mark chapter 5, that's on page 840 in your black Bible there. Uh, so if you want to turn there. This morning we're going to look at a father who brought Jesus to his family. And that's about the last thing I'm going to say about Father's Day. So there you go. Fathers, I think it's a good idea. Make sure you bring Jesus to your family. Uh, But this lesson is not necessarily a lesson that's uh, directed specifically for fathers. I'm not going to beat fathers up like we normally do on Father's Day. But we are going to look at a father who thought it was important enough to bring Jesus to his family. And certainly that's a lesson that we can learn today. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. On page 840 in your black Bibles, we're going to look at three points this morning. A father's desperate plea, a daughter's desperate act, and desperate times, and what we should do during those times. Let's break this thing down in a few verses. Mark Mark chapter 5, beginning verse 21, it says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. So Jesus is at this time in the middle of Mark, traveling back and forth, basically, across the Sea of Galilee, sometimes spending time with the Jews on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, sometimes spending it with uh, Gentiles or Samaritans on the uh, eastern shore of the the Sea of Galilee. He's just come back from the Decapolis, the eastern shore. He's back now on the Jewish side of the shore, and it's says there that he got there and a large crowd as is happened uh, his practice at this point large crowds are following Jesus everywhere large crowd gathered around him so he stayed by the seashore verse 22 one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet This morning, I really want us to think about, we are going to focus on Jairus a lot. In these verses, we'll read probably 30 verses or so. There's only five verses that Jesus speaks in. He doesn't say a whole lot in these verses, but we're going to learn something about our Lord in these verses. I want you to think about this story that we're going to read, this event that really happened a couple thousand years ago in and around Jerusalem and around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Think about it from Jairus's perspective the father who's going to come here he is a synagogue official 
That means he worships at one of the local synagogues in one of the uh, cities outside of Jerusalem. Uh, of course, the, the temple, the, the main place of worship was in Jerusalem uh, where the temple was, but they had synagogues or smaller congregations in various cities uh, where a certain number of Jews were, and there'd be many synagogues in and around this area. But he's a synagogue official. He's a, he's a priest. He's a preacher kind of like today. And, and he comes and Jesus is teaching by the seashore. And no doubt, many of the people who are there, they probably know Jairus. So maybe as he is walking up, they kind of get out of his way because he's a religious man. He's a, he's a, he's a man of God and he comes and, 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 and he's coming towards Jesus. And, and maybe they think of him like the Pharisees or the Sadducees that he's going to come and ask Jesus some questions. But that's not at all what happens. This religious man, this religious leader in some form or fashion sees Jesus, comes, hears about him being there, comes to him and he falls at his feet. He bows down to him and he says this in verse 23, or this is what happens next. He fell at his feet, verse 23, and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she may get well and live. And he went, he, Jesus, went off with him, Jairus, and a large crowd was following and pressing in on him. All right, so again, in this story, let's think about it from Jairus' perspective. He has a daughter. We find out later she's 12 years old, and she's at the point of death. She is extremely sick. And he has heard about Jesus, no doubt. Jesus perhaps has been in this area already. Uh, but even if Jesus hasn't been to this specific area, no doubt Jairus as a synagogue official has heard about this man named Jesus who's been going around all of Galilee teaching and preaching and healing people. And he's desperate. He's desperate. This morning I, I want to share with you a little bit from, from my and Lena, my wife's experience with our, our firstborn son, James. And, and don't do this for, for anything for, for us, but, I, but I, I can identify with Jarius here a little bit. And I want to help you identify with Jarius. Okay? When our son, our firstborn son was born, he had a congenital heart defect uh, where his, his heart didn't fully form. And we knew that ahead of time via ultrasounds and all those, those types of things. So he was born in Charleston, South Carolina at the Medical University of South Carolina. Uh, he was born everything, uh, you, looking at him from the outside, he was a big plump boy, okay? Uh, you couldn't tell that there was anything wrong with him, but there was something very seriously wrong with him. Uh, his heart wasn't developed. It wasn't going to function properly. There were some things they had to do to, to keep him alive the first few days of his life. We met with the doctors, again, knowing all of this ahead of time, having met the, the medical staff there ahead of time, and, and the doctors uh, basically said, I don't remember the exact percentage, I believe it was below 50%, that if he had a surgery, he would survive. And we knew that he would have to have multiple surgeries throughout his life in order to be able to survive. And, and my question to the doctor was, after he said this certain percentage, because, again, in the doctor's mind, some of them would have told us not to have the baby at all. You know what I mean? That's what some of them would have told us. It's not worth it. It's not going to happen. Your baby's going to die. And so they told us there's a certain percentage, let's say 40%. And, and my question to the doctor was, again, because in a little bit of the, the fog of everything that was going on at that time was, was something along these lines. So without the surgery, does he have a chance? And the answer was no. Without the surgery, he's going to die. And I think our answer was, let's give him a chance. So he had the surgery. Jarius is in that position. His daughter is at the point of death. 
No doubt Jarius, the synagogue official, he's prayed about it. He's asked God for help. He's probably gone to every doctor there is, just like you would go to every doctor there is if your 12-year-old daughter was at the point of death. But then he hears about or remembers this guy, Jesus, who's going around preaching and teaching and healing all kinds of diseases. So he has a desperate plea going to this man who maybe he believes in, maybe like most of the Jews he doesn't believe in at this point, but he falls at his feet and pleads with him, my daughter is about to die. Please come heal her. And it says that Jesus agrees and he goes along. And there's this large crowd following him. Again, think about it in your mind. Jairus is there. He's, he's excited. He's happy. Okay, Jesus, you've, you've agreed to come. But, but have you ever been with your child in, in a big crowd and you don't want to lose them? And, or maybe they're, they're falling behind. What do you want to do when your child's falling behind in a big crowd? Or, or if you're in a hurry and you're with somebody and they're kind of slowing down, what do you want to do? You want to grab their hand and say, come on, let's go. We got to get going. Don't you think Jairus wanted to grab Jesus' hand and say, come on, Jesus. My daughter's about to die. I know there's these large crowd. I know there's people who have come to, to listen to you, but, but I, in Jarius' mind, if I was Jarius, I don't care. I don't care about all these other people. My daughter's about to die. Let's go. So that's Jarius, and that's Jesus, and they're walking along with the crowd, this large crowd, hundreds, who knows, maybe thousands of people, because there are crowds that large that regularly follow Jesus, and they're following, they're walking to Jesus, or to Jairus' house from the seashore. Let's look, secondly, uh, in verses 25 through 34, there's a little bit of an interruption, and it's a little bit more than just an interlude, it's a great story, uh, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I want us to point to this, okay, verses 25 and following. So as they're walking along, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. We know this story probably pretty well. We're fairly familiar with it, but let me remind you about a few things. She's had a, a flow of blood, a hemorrhage. We don't know the details. We don't know exactly what all it means, but she's, she's had something she's dealing with where she's losing blood regularly, perhaps consistently, and she's been enduring that for 12 years. Can you think about that? Think about, you know, when, when people lose a lot of blood, they lose a lot of energy. They lose a lot of uh, stamina. So she's been dealing with that sort of thing for 12 years. According to the Old Testament law in Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 25, if there was a prolonged loss of blood, she was considered unclean. So not only is there this physical toil that she has, but there's probably a spiritual, there's probably an emotional toil that she has. Because if you're unclean and you're a Jew, you have to stay away from people. It's almost like being a leper. They're unclean, so she had to, she had to stay away from people. But what is, what happens? She's been dealing with this. She's gone from doctor to doctor to doctor. She's spent all of her money and she hasn't gotten any better. As a matter of fact, she's gotten worse over this 12-year period, which makes sense to us if you were consistently losing blood and they didn't have blood transfusion back then. That She's in a bad spot physically. She's probably in a bad spot emotionally. That has probably perhaps led her to a bad spot spiritually. But again, she, like Jairus, hears about Jesus. He's going around preaching and teaching throughout all Galilee and healing all kinds of diseases. And she says, I've got to get to this man. I've got to get to this man. So she comes up in the crowd, okay? Well, again, she's unclean. She hasn't been in a crowd probably in a long time. 
The people around her probably don't recognize her or don't know her because if they did, there'd be a commotion. She's unclean. Don't touch me because if an unclean person touches someone who is clean ceremonially, then they become unclean. That means they can't go to worship and they've got to go through all these steps and processes to get clean again. So it's a big deal. She's doing something that she's not supposed to do. She's desperate. She reaches up thinking within herself, if I can just, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, maybe. Maybe I'll be clean. Verse 28. Again, for she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. Immediately as she does, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, and this is interesting about Jesus, Jesus perceived in himself, he felt that power had proceeded from him and had gone forth turning around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And you, like the disciples, have this response. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? What do you mean who touched me, Jesus? There's all kinds of people who are touching you. What are you talking about? Now let's stop here for just a second and remind us about who we're really thinking about, Jarius. Jarius is saying, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, it's time to go. My daughter's sick. She's on her deathbed. She's about to die. In other parallel passages, as a matter of fact, it says that she already is dead. And perhaps he doesn't know it yet. But she's on her deathbed. He's desperate. And Jesus, in the midst of walking towards his house, which he's excited about, but he surely wishes she would hurry up, Jesus stops and looks around. Who touched me? The disciple says, what do you mean who touched you? Jesus, there's people, all kinds of people all around you. They're, they're, they're dying. They're begging to touch you. They want to be near you, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? And Jarius saying, what are you doing, Jesus? My daughter, let's go. What do you mean who touched you? Who, who cares who touched you? Let's go. We've got to get to my daughter. Verse 32. And he, Jesus, looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, aware that she has been made well, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. No doubt telling him, reminding him, or telling, her, her, telling him her story. I've had this issue of blood. I've had this flow of blood for 12 years. I've gone from doctor to doctor to doctor, trying desperately to be healed. I heard about you, Jesus. I heard about the things that you were doing, and I just wanted to be close to you. I thought if maybe if I just touched the hem of your garment, I would be healed. And guess what, Jesus? I touched the hem of your garment, and I'm healed. She's probably weeping, perhaps sobbing in thankfulness. And Jarius, amazed, happy for the woman, perhaps even encouraged, saying, well, if he can do this for her, certainly he can heal my daughter, but still saying, great, that's over with, let's go. Let's go. My daughter is at home, and she's dying. Verse 34, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. Again, Jairus there is amazed and thankful and, and excited. And finally, Jesus maybe, maybe stooping down to, to pick the woman up as she has fallen down before him. Now he, he turns again and goes to Jairus' house. And right as he does, and right as Jairus is thankful that finally, okay, Jesus is moving in the right direction again, then we get to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, they came to the house 
they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? You're Jarius. What do you do? What do you do other than fall apart? When our son died after 13 days of life, after his surgery, it was, ultimately wasn't successful. Um, my brother was working as an EMT at the time, and his ambulance company was uh, kind enough to transfer uh, the body from Charleston to Greenville, where we were living at the time. Before the visitation, as you know, uh, probably, there's a chance for the family to view the body. It's one thing, and it's a sad thing, to view the body of a 70, 80, 90-year-old man or woman who's passed away. Certainly you're sad. I've done that. It's a sad thing. It's another thing uh, to lay in bed after your son has died and to think, I've got to preach my son's funeral. I don't want to preach my son's funeral. When James was alive in the hospital, uh, we would do... um, we would rub nosies like Eskimosies, uh, Ugga Mugga, whatever you want to call it. But we would, that's about the only thing I could do with him. He's there. He's in the bed. We can't really hold him. We held him one time when he was alive because he got all these medical things on him. Uh, we would rub noses. Special for me. So I thought, when we viewed the body, before the casket is closed, I'll rub his nose again bad idea. When you rub noses with your children when they're alive, it's nice and warm and intimate. When you rub noses with a corpse, the body is cold. What was Jarius thinking when they came from his house and said, your daughter has died? Why trouble the teacher any longer? He's a synagogue official. Perhaps he's thinking in that moment, as no doubt he had perhaps think, thought before, I don't want to preach my daughter's funeral. As he goes into the house later that we'll read about here in just a few minutes, and he grabs his daughter's hand, no doubt that hand has began to become cold. This is Jerry's. A man who loved his daughter enough to go and fall down at a man's feet that he didn't know that well. But he thought maybe there was a chance with her. And now there seems to be no chance. Verse 36. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, says to Jairus, Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And Jesus allowed no one to accompany him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he was, and there was a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, and putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. So Jesus gets to the house, he takes, he, he, he turns away the crowd, Jerry's is probably thinking, well, I wish you would have done that sooner. I wish you wouldn't have 
gone along with the crowd and taken too much time. If you would have gotten there sooner, Jesus, maybe my daughter wouldn't be dead. But Jesus says, don't fear any longer. Only believe. He takes Peter, James, and John with them. They get to the house. There's this group of people, perhaps some family members. It was Jewish custom at the time that, that there were probably people who, who weren't super closely connected to the family, uh, that, that were almost something like professional wailers, professional mourners. And they would have gone to the house and they would have been there to, to display this, this sadness, no doubt that this family was feeling. But, but we see that, that perhaps that's this way because when Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, they don't respond in disbelief they laugh at him we encourage our kids not to laugh at a funeral right when we go to a visitation it's not a time of laughter so there's a disconnect between these people who are here mourning and their response to what jesus says it's not a hopeful response that you would think they might have if they really loved this daughter who had died instead it's a mocking response he he takes the father jarius and here's the mother just being introduced to her. What's going on in her minds, mothers? How lost is she? They go into the room, no doubt surrounding the young girl who's there laying in her bed, likely, probably grabbing her hand and again feeling that cold hand. Verse 41, Jesus takes that same cold hand, perhaps, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. Can you imagine what's going on in Jairus' mind? Can you imagine the highs and lows that Jairus has had in this short journey that he's taken? humbling himself enough as a synagogue official, a man of prominence, a man of importance, to fall down at the feet of Jesus and beg him, Lord, my daughter is dying. Please, please come help. And, and almost feeling like he wants to drag Jesus alone and Jesus stopping and dealing with this woman who's unclean and, and Jairus, honestly, again, probably doesn't really care about her. He's happy for her. He's glad that Jesus healed her. But his idea is Jesus lets go. And as he turns to walk again towards his house, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? Don't be afraid any longer, Jesus says. Only believe. I imagine it would be hard for Jarius to believe in that moment. He's a synagogue official. He's a man of God. He knows the Old Testament better than we do today. But I imagine it was hard for him to keep on believing. But he gets there and, and then he sees something he could have only dreamed about. His daughter who was dead come back to life. And they're astounded. As their daughter gets up and probably hugs mom and dad. Mom and dad are in shock. Mom and dad's jaws perhaps are hanging open, tears flowing out of their eyes. They can't believe what they see. And Jesus says, keep on believing. What do we learn about our Lord in this story? Let's learn again, first of all, that Jairus was humble enough to bring bring Jesus to his family. Let's be humble enough to bring Jesus to our family. 
We've had children who are sick. We've had children who have died. We've lost loved ones in various ways. But there are worse things. There are worse things like losing your children or your parents to Satan. Them turning away from God and wandering away from God. Well, brothers and sisters, moms and dads and children and parents, let's love our families enough, let's love the lost enough to bring Jesus to them. Being humble enough to beg for Jesus to come and for us to share that message with them. Let's learn from uh, the woman with the hemorrhage that Jarius is in a hurry. Jarius is a synagogue official. Jerry, I, I don't know Jarius. You don't know Jarius. We don't know much about him, but it, it is brought up that he is a synagogue official. That is, within his community, a place of honor, a place of recognition. They, they know there's something about this guy, and, and probably they, they have some sort of uh, respect for him in some form or fashion. Uh, Certainly in the Jewish community, that would have been the way that it was, but he humbles himself. And then there's this unclean woman that Jesus takes the time to care about. Jesus is no respecter of man. Jesus cared about the daughter of the synagogue official, and Jesus cared about the woman who was ceremonially unclean, according to Old Testament law. He cared about them both, and he took the time to care about them both. What's lesson, what lesson is there in that for us? Let's be sure to not only care about those that we consider to be important, but also consider, consider and care about those who we may deem, or the world certainly may deem as unimportant. And then what about desperate times? Again, desperate times. When there is no other hope, what do you do? Desperate times call for desperate measures. We do things when we, when we don't know what to do, we don't see a way forward, we don't know what's next, we do things that we might not normally do. We go to the extra treatment, we go to the experimental treatment, we, we do everything that we can trying to achieve what we can achieve with our knowledge or with something different or just going, going above and beyond trying to accomplish what, whatever we're trying to accomplish. Well, desperate times, Jesus, Jarius, excuse me, wanted Jesus to come right then. Isn't it interesting? We know the Bible pretty well, probably. You're probably familiar with with other stories that that sometimes people have come to Jesus and they've told him about people who are sick elsewhere. And guess what? Jesus doesn't go to their house. Jesus just says the words and they're made well. Why didn't Jesus do this here? Could Jesus have said the word and Jairus' daughter have been well? Seems like it because he's done that in other times with other people. Did Jarius know about those times? If Jarius later heard about those times, would Jarius have said, what's going on, Jesus? Why didn't you just say the words? You didn't have to be there. Maybe it was a lesson for Jarius. Certainly maybe it's a lesson for us. Sometimes God's timing and our timing are very different. Sometimes we pray prayers and God doesn't answer them the way that we want them to be answered. Sometimes he, does, he says, not right now. And sometimes he simply says, no. What's the point? What do we learn about our Lord? What can you take with you, hopefully, from this place today and carry with you into your life? There will be times when you need to make desperate pleas to God. There will be times when you'll have to take desperate acts like the woman. But in each of these, notice what Jesus says. Your faith has made you well. Keep on believing. Do you really believe in Jesus? This Jesus that we just read about? Not just that Jesus that's up in heaven now watching over us. Do you really believe 
Do you honestly believe that there was a man named Jesus who was the Son of God, who walked the earth, who one day stood on the seashore, was teaching some people, had a man come to him begging for his daughter's life, began to walk with that man, healed a woman on the way, and then raised a dead girl from a deathbed? Jesus' words to both of them were commending her for her faith, the woman with the hemorrhage, and saying to Jairus, don't fear any longer, but believe. In your life, when you're at your wit's end, when you don't know what's next, when you don't know what to do, physically, emotionally, spiritually, will you keep on believing? Maybe not understanding what God is doing. Maybe not knowing where he's leading you. Maybe having to go through some pretty rough and terrible things. But will you keep on believing? Will you continue to follow Jesus because of the things he's already done for you in the past and he's done for others in your life? Now, that's not a, that's not a specific action point, is it? I'm not telling you go and, and, and talk to one person about Jesus this week. Hey, go do that. That's a good idea. But, but will you, this week, will you, the next time, next time a tragedy happens in your life, continue to believe that God is God, that Jesus is his son, that, that his death mattered, and that his resurrection gives you the hope of eternal life? Christian, will you live your life like you believe in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian this morning, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe He's the resurrected Son of God? Stop there. If you believe that, what are you going to do about it? Christian, if you believe that, what are you going to do about it? Christian, it should change our lives. Non-Christians, It should lead us to following Jesus through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism so that we can begin to follow Jesus every day of our life. Uh, If you believe that, there's no reason not to act on it this morning. Whether that's through baptism or whether that's through making sure that you, you move your life to be who you need to be. If you have any needs, we invite you to come this morning and let us know those things as we stand and sing.